Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope that these messages encourage and inspire you in your personal journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'm going to read from Romans, the 12th chapter, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. You may be seated. Father, I thank you for your word. That as in your divine wisdom, you allowed for your word to be preserved. That your mind and what you have to say is written for us. That we can turn to these pages and, and understand your revealed will. We thank you for that, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, what I want to do today is I want to look at uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. So what I'd like to do is we're going to go through and, and break this down a little at a time. <clears throat> so this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, most of you have, if you've been in the church a while, you've, you've heard this, you've read this. And... Uh, I want to focus in on, on one word in, the, in this first. Uh, let me read it to you again. I beseech you, therefore, <clears throat> no, excuse me, let me go to verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may, may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove there is the Greek word dokimazo. And dokimazo can also be translated discern. So if we look at that, let's just read, read the passage with the, that word discern in mind. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's our goal. That's our goal in life, is to discern the will of God. And I've titled this, Discerning the Will of God in All Seasons. Because it doesn't, you know, regardless of what season you're in, you need to know the will of God. Whether it's in those good seasons or those wilderness seasons, you need to know the will of God. That's our goal. Now he goes on to say, good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now I've been a Christian about 43 years, some 43, 44 years. And uh, years ago, I used to hear this teaching, and a matter of fact, it's still around today. I did a little uh, research on the, on the web, and I found out that um, it's still around. The teaching goes well, something like this. Well, God has a perfect will, but God has a permissible will. And so they take this verse to say that God has more than one will. He's got the good, he's got the perfect, and he's got the acceptable. You can't find that in Scripture. Okay. Actually, when you look at that passage, <clears throat> uh, Paul is not talking about three different wills. <clears throat> what he's talking about is as you 
uh, prove, or it should, uh, good, uh, another translation is approve the word of God. As you walk out the word of God, you will approve or come to realize that what God does is perfect, good, and acceptable. It's not three different wills. God's will is always good. God's will is always acceptable. God's will is always perfect. And the way you prove or approve of it is to walk it out in your life. And then you begin to acknowledge that what God said in this word is true. <clears throat> so God's will is always good, always acceptable, and always perfect. And in the years that I've served the Lord, I can look back, and there are times when, I'll just be honest, I didn't obey the scriptures. You go along, and you're doing the best you can, and then you read your Bible, and you really come across some promises or commands that you're supposed to do, and you say, well, Lord, you know my situation. I'm short on money this week, so I'm on a pass on the tie this week, you know, uh, or, oh, yeah, I know it says to do this, but Lord, you, you understand my situation, blah, 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 blah. I've looked back over 40 years, and I've come to the conclusion that whatever God says is always right. right. When I look back at the, at the stupid things I did when I didn't obey the word, I can look back and, said, and say, God is always right. And if you could ever settle that in your mind and put aside the excuses and the reasons why we don't do it, even when it's tough, in the long run, you will prove or approve the will of God. So <clears throat> steps to discerning God's will. One is, and we're going to look at these in depth. One is, Paul said, present your bodies. Two, he said, renew your mind. And the third one is not in Ephesians 12, excuse me, Romans 12, but it's over in Ephesians and a couple other places. The third one is control your tongue. And I will get over to that, and you can look at it, and there's actually three different places in Scripture that tie into this verse that talks about controlling your tongue. So <clears throat> let's look at Paul's instruction in Romans. Now, if we're going to go back and keep this in context... Here, this is the 12th chapter of Romans. There's 11 chapters. Paul has talked about a whole lot of things in the first 11 chapters. So when we come to uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we have to understand the context in, which this, in what he's saying here. So um, let's talk about Paul calls Romans his gospel. And it is probably his most doctrinal or theological uh, of all, all the letters he, he's written. He never had been to Rome yet, so he is laying out his understanding what God has shown him regarding the work of the cross and Jesus. So we have to go back and put this in, in context. And uh, Paul calls it his gospel. Well, you know that gospel, most of you know that the word gospel means good news. So this is Paul's good news to the church. And this gospel differs from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are called gospels. But they're, they're different. They're different. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were <clears throat> accounts, in some cases eyewitness accounts, 
of what Jesus did, his earthly ministry, his teaching, and uh, his, his uh, crucifixion, his resurrection. These are eyewitness accounts, and they lay out exactly what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. Um, and so when Jesus was in the upper room with the 12, right before his crucifixion, in, uh, in, in John 16, Jesus makes the statement to his disciples, and he says, there's things I want to share with you now, but you can't bear it. And so, and so what was he talking about? He said, the Holy Spirit will come, and he will lead you and guide you into all truth. There are some things I can't share with you right now. The reason he couldn't share with them is they weren't born again. They were still, uh, even though they were doing miracles and walking with Jesus, they hadn't been born again yet. And there was things that God, the, Jesus, the Lord Jesus wanted to share with his disciples, but he said, you're not ready. But the day is coming when the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he is going to lead you and guide you into all truth. What Paul is sharing are the things that Jesus couldn't share. The Holy Spirit was leading the Apostle Paul. And his gospel is so different than the other gospels because Paul's gospel looks at, while the, 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 the four gospels look at the physical things that Jesus did and said at the crucifixion, Paul's gospel looks at the spiritual significance behind everything that Jesus said and did. If we didn't have Paul's gospel, we wouldn't understand the full ramifications of what Jesus did for us. So we have the first 11 chapters where Paul lays out what the significance and spiritual meaning of what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. And then you come to chapter 12, which is the beginning of the practical application of what he has just talked about in the first 11 chapters. So, so let's look at this in light of that. Now, he opens up uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, you think back to the group of people he was talking to. They are, the church at Rome were Jews, or formerly Jews, or they had come out of a pagan culture. So anybody in, who was reading Paul's letter of those people would understand what a sacrifice was. If you were a Jew, you understood the sacrifices that took place in the temple. Or if you were a pagan, there were pagan temples where they offered sacrifices. So both these groups of people who were formerly uh, Jews or pagans understood the concept of a sacrifice. But, call, but Paul goes ahead and does something very different. He said, I want you to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. That's something totally new. This is something totally new. I want you to take your life and submit it to God. And he goes on, I want you to take your body and submit it to God. There's a, I, I read this statement years ago, and I, uh, I remembered it when I was preparing. It says, the main problem with a living sacrifice 
is it always wants to keep crawling off the altar. <laughs> Can you relate? <laughs> but but, but that's, what, that's what God is requiring. See, your, your body and your mind need to submit to the, to the will of God, to the word of God. Amen. Jesus said that man's spirit is willing, but his flesh is weak. Paul said, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. See, what happened is when you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, your spirit man became brand new. Instantly became brand new. So here you are. Here's your spirit man who loves God, who desires to do the will of God, but there's more to you than just your spirit. You've got your body and you've got your mind that you have to deal with. So Paul opens up Romans 12 and he says, I beseech you. Now, beseech is an archaic word. I don't, I, I don't think I've ever said to anyone, I, I beseech you. I beseech you to come to lunch with me, Pastor G. It's such an archaic word that we, we really don't know off the top of your head. You don't, how would you define that, I beseech you? Well, most of the translations of the Bible, or newer translations, use the word urge. But the word urge doesn't even carry the force of what the Apostle Paul is saying here. The same Greek word for beseech was used in the Gospels. <clears throat> Remember the leper who came to Jesus? He, wanted, he came to Jesus to be healed, and he was beseeching Jesus to heal him. Okay? Now, if you're that leper, think about it. There you are, standing before Jesus, or kneeling before Jesus, and he's beseeching Jesus for something. That is something. It's not just urge. It is from the depth of his being. A needy man who needs something from God. And so Paul is saying, through the Holy Spirit, let's not forget, although the Apostle Paul is saying this, he's speaking under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And so there is this cry of the Spirit. This is the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, crying out to you. I beseech you. I... I desire for you with everything that is within me that you conform your life to the word of God, that you conform your mind to the word of God, that your body is submitted. This is the cry of the spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This, these, this is the desperation of the spirit. Then he says, you there, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now, there's the old saying, when you see the word therefore, look back and see what it's there for. <laughs> because it, it addresses something that has been said previously. Yeah. 
So it says, <clears throat> I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Let's talk about that for a minute. If you go back into the first 11 chapters, Paul lays out for us the mercies of God. Let me give you some examples. Here's just some of the mercies of God. God showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the mercy of God. That our right standing with God is accomplished through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a mercy of God. That the Gentiles have received mercy because of, because of the disobedience of the Jews. If you read chapter 9, 10, and 11, the Jews rejected Jesus. They were bro the branches that were broken off. And God, through his mercy, took a bunch of Gentiles, a bunch of pagans, and grafted him into his plan. That is the mercy of God. Okay? And then right before Romans 12.1, Paul says that, that God has concluded that all are in disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. So it's every man's a sinner, every man needs salvation, and God's put everybody on the same level plane so he can have mercy on all. So those are the mercies of God. So therefore, Paul says, because of these mercies that God has extended to you, I want you, or the Spirit is urging you, calling you to do something in light of these mercies. <clears throat> then he goes on to say, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. It's something logical that you should do in light of what God has done for you. Amen. So it's not impossible or it's not, it's not an impossible or unreasonable command to do this. But what Paul is, Paul is going to go, as he's saying this, you have to go back to what he said previously. This, this verse actually takes you back. He said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He used that same word, he used that same phraseology, present your bodies, back in Romans 6. So let's get, go back to Romans 6 so we can understand what he's saying here. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to start from verse 1. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think you need to hear the whole context so you can get the, get, get the import of what's being said here. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in, in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into his death, <clears throat> that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so uh, we should also walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been united to him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has, uh, has died has uh, been freed from sin. Now, it is, if we died with Christ, uh, we believe that we all shall, shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to, uh, to sin once and for all, and the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So, on the basis of what he's saying here, he can make the statement in Romans 12 that you can present your body. But let's break this down a little bit to understand what he's talking about. See, what he's talking about in Romans 6 is what Christ has done for us so that we will be able to fulfill Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Okay, let's look at this verse. <clears throat> verse, uh, uh, verse 4. Oh, no, verse 3. And... Uh, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, normally, when, uh, when we see the word baptism, we immediately think of water baptism. That's just how we, how we go. We just normally think of water baptism. But there are actually three different types of baptism in the New Testament that, uh, that believers can be uh, partake of. One is, one is water baptism which happens after someone is converted, and water baptism is an outward sign of what God has already done in their heart. There is what is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which, happened, which took place uh, and, and takes place in people's lives today. It's based on the book of Acts, uh, where the Holy Spirit comes upon a person and fills them to overflowing with the Spirit. But then there's another one, which is actually the first one that a person experiences when they're born again. It is, according to Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that when you accepted Christ, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ. So if you think about it, if you think about uh, the water baptism, the pastor stands there and takes you and, and stick, dunks you under the water, he is baptizing you in water. What Romans, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12 says that the Holy Spirit takes you and places you in the body of Christ. So that's what I believe, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Yeah, he may be referring to water baptism, but the main emphasis is that when you accepted Christ and you were placed in the body of Christ, something happened to you. Instantly, instantaneously, something happened to you. And we're going to look at it in detail. <clears throat> but I want to, uh, one of the pictures of, uh, 
of baptism from the Greek was uh, taking uh, like a piece of cloth and submerging it in dye. So here, let's say you have a, a vat of purple dye. You take that white cloth and you submerge it in the purple dye. And when you pull it out, it's not white anymore. It's now purple. It has taken on the characteristics of what it was baptized into. You know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. When you were baptized into the Lord Jesus, you took on the characteristics of the Lord Jesus. You look like him. Okay? You got that. You got that. Okay, so what, does, so what does Paul say about this baptism? Knowing that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, as I was, <clears throat> I wasn't raised in church. I, I became a Christian at 19 years of age in the military. Had never read a Bible. Had never seen a Bible uh, uh, you think that might be hard to believe, but it's true. I had never seen a Bible. And uh, went to a little Bible study that some folks had. And, and uh, I remember very distinctly someone talking about, well, you're always going to sin. No matter how it is, you're always going to, you know, it's, life is good and one day you go to heaven, but, you know, you always got this body and you have to fight, you know, you're always going to sin. But... Let me explain what Paul is talking about here. He is saying what happened, part of what happened to you when you were born again is the power of sin was broken in your life. A sinner, who, a person who doesn't know Christ is a sinner. He sins because he can't help it because it's part of who he is. He's a descendant of Adam. We're all descendants of Adam and because of that nature, that sin nature, you can't help but sin if you're, if you're unsaved. But when you were baptized into Christ, it says that the body of sin was broken. And it means, actually means, may, the old King James says destroyed, but that's not a good uh, translation. It just doesn't, when we think of destroyed, we think of it just doesn't exist anymore. That's not what this is saying. It is saying that it is inoperative. It's inoperative. Doesn't mean it's gone away. But it's inoperative. So there you are, a born-again Christian. You still have the ability to sin, but you're not in bondage to sin. So that has helped me so much in these past 40 years. That it really has. When I think that sin is, doesn't master me, I master sin. If I sin, it's because I want to. Because <laughs> you're not in bondage. Uh, he says right here, you're not in bondage to it. So if you do, it's because you want to. Sin doesn't have a grasp on you. 
Okay, but see what he, now, so let's see what he says about this. Look at, um, let's get, see what verse we want to go to. Verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ our Lord. And there's another, there's another word that we don't ever use much, or at least I don't, reckon. <laughs> I don't reckon. Uh, but what the word means, it's an accounting term. It's an accounting term to add up, to con compute. And so accounting terms are very precise. They deal with facts. Paul is saying, here's the fact, Christians. You're dead to sin. Here's the fact. You need to reckon, you need to consider what Christ has done it's already been done, but you need to consider it. You need to get it into your thinking. This is the fact of the matter. You're, you're, you're dead to sin. Sin has no dominion over you. And alive to God. And then I like, I like this next one. Verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That word instrument is also used in the Gospels, and it's translated weapon. Your body is a weapon for the kingdom of God. Look at your hands. These hands are your weapons to lay hands on the sick. Your tongue is a weapon to preach the gospel, to pray in the spirit, to change the things in this world. They're your weapons. Hallelujah. 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 Some of you used to have such a sharp tongue before you got saved, and you could cut, you could cut people to ribbons. But now that you're born again, you can use that same tongue to rout the devil, preach the gospel, and help save the lost. Yes. Amen? <clears throat> Let's go back to... So, so Romans 6, when he teaches Romans 6, you go back to Romans 12, that's why he says, you can do this. You can present your body, because Christ has done the work that needs to be done. And now it's your turn to do something, to submit your body. Let's, uh, let's read Romans um, 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me read this to you out of the uh, uh, J.B. Phillips translation. Listen to this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God is for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves forward, forwards the goal of true maturity. So it's, don't let the world mold your mind. How much do we need that today with social media and everything else? The world wants to mold your mind. It has hours and hours and hours of your life 
to mold your mind. But we've got to do something different. We've got, we've got to purposely renew our mind. It's an action that we have to do. It says, and then he goes on to say that uh, we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now that English, that, that uh, we get our English word metamorphosis from that word transformed. And most of you have probably heard it if you've been in church any length of time. Metamorphosis, what do we think about? We think about a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. <clears throat> and, that's a, and that's a good picture. But the word transformed in this verse is not referring to the new birth. You, when you were born again, that was instantaneous. This, is not, this word here is not instantaneous. It's an ongoing, progressive change in your life. See, your spirit, when you were born again, according to Ephesians, you were created in righteousness and true holiness. That's your inner man. And, and Hebrews says that the law of God is written on your heart. So your inner, your spirit man desires, loves the things of God. But now it's, now the idea is we have to transform. Why God did it this way, I don't know. But now he's put it upon us to take what has happened on the inside and bring it out. And that's through renewing your mind and submitting your body to God. Okay, so how do we renew our mind? Here's what Peter says <clears throat> from 2 Peter um, 1 4. He said, By which we have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you might part be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter is saying it's through the promises of this book that we renew our minds. It is through the promises of this book that we begin to be partakers of the divine nature. See, your spirit man was born again. Your spirit man took on the, the nature of God. I'm not saying you're God, but you're born of the spirit of God, and he lives within inside of you. His, his, his Holy Spirit is, is joined to your spirit, and you are alive to God. But in order for you to partake of the benefits of that, it's through the promises of God that it works out in your life. We have to assimilate. We have to integrate God's word into our lives every day. Because this is the will of God. This right here. If you had nothing else, but then you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit can direct you in certain areas, but he'll always come and, and go in line with what's in this book. So if we had nothing else but this book, you would have enough to live your life according to the will of God. So this must be integrated into our life. And part of the way that I have found that you, uh, that you do it, people don't talk about it much anymore, is memorization. Learn scripture. Learn scripture. You've got to change what's going on in here. And you do that, you memorize the word of God. And not only memorize the word of God, but meditate on the word of God. And by that I mean you take those, those scriptures or you take these biblical principles 
and you turn them over and over in your mind and in your heart, and then that, that changes the way you think. And it doesn't happen overnight. This is the progressive thing that happens in your life. So you begin to think in line with what the Word of God says. And when you have those scriptures in there, and when you have the biblical concepts as a part of who you are, that gives something for the Holy Spirit to work with. He'll, he'll bring that scripture back to your mind when you need it. He'll, he'll check you uh, uh, in your heart when you're doing something wrong or, or, or just not right as, as the Spirit leads, you know, as the Spirit directs you. So, but it's, it takes this type of stuff in order to, uh, reading the word, memorizing the word, in order to change uh, and conform our minds uh, and renew our minds. Think about the caterpillar again. The caterpillar has all the ability within it to become a butterfly. Just like you, as a born-again Christian, have within you the ability to become more Christ-like in your life. But the caterpillar has to do something. He has to work at it. Make that cocoon, close himself up from the world, and the next thing you know, he's coming out looking like God created him to be. Hey, it applies to us too. You got to close out the world and center in on what God wants you to be. And then you become more Christ-like. Okay. Let's look at this last one. <clears throat> Paul and Peter speak about Christians becoming a new person in Christ. And uh, let me read to you from uh, Colossians chapter 3. This is Paul speaking. But now you know yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And then let me read from you from 1 Peter. <clears throat> Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Actually, there's three different passages where either Paul or Peter is talking about the new birth, your new life. And it seems, as I was studying this, I hadn't noticed this before, but immediately after he talks about that, they talk about what you say. They talk about not having corrupt communication out of your mouth, not lying to one another. Uh, and, and so in addition to renewing your mind, you have to do something with what you say. You have to, you know, uh, Paul and Peter both go over and say, you can't lie, you, you sh don't let corrupt communication come out of your mouth, and just on and on. And, and he, they follow this up right after they talk about the new birth. So it has an effect. Your words have an effect on how you live. Um, let, me, let me read this to you. This is from a book called Words Can Change Your Brain. Dr. Andrew Newberg said this, the words, that words can literally change your brain. He said, by holding a positive and optimistic word in your mind, you stimulate the frontal lobe activity. As research has shown, the longer you concentrate on positive words, the more you begin to affect other areas of your brain. Functions in the parietal lobe start to change, which changes your perception of yourself and the people you interact with. Wow. 
So the words you speak can change how you think. And Jesus said it very simply. Take no thought by saying. Gee, he, he boiled it down to one sentence. Take no thought by saying. So what you think about and what you hold in your mind and what you t speak about can change, your, can change and renew your mind. Okay? So, so there, there it is. Paul has asked us our, our response to what God has done for us is to submit our bodies. And you can do it because Christ did the work for you to do it. And you can renew your mind. God has given us his perfect will in every situation. And we can renew our mind. Amen. And then we need to watch our tongue. And as we speak God's word, it, change, it changes the way you think. I mean, in this day and age when you have CD players and everything, you can listen to the word of God. You can listen to biblical preaching in those times that you have. You have so many resources at your disposal in order for you to renew your mind. And so it's a, it's a shame if you don't take advantage of it. You should be, you should be thinking about Christ and, and the work of the ministry Amen. daily as a part of your regular life. Amen. So... That's the word I have to share today. I, I hope you're blessed.